Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Kevin, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Good to be here, Samuel. Hey, Kevin, for those in my audience who may not know about you, can you share a little bit about who you are and, and, and your background? Yeah, sure. I uh, am Kevin Clark. I am the SVP of sales at SignUp, which is a software company that lets businesses manage their local digital presence. So all of their listings and profiles, all the reviews across all these different review sites and directories and maps and apps and that kind of thing, and then helps them optimize to get more phone calls and and visits to their business. Um, I've been in the SaaS and MarTech space for going on 15 years now. Lucky to to have been a part of two successful exits. Um, And like I said, I started my career in the shipping and logistics and kind of worked for a nightmare bureaucratic conglomerate for two years. Um, And then thank God I was fired and I was able to find my first startup and haven't looked back since. Most certainly. Well, Kevin, I know I've known you for quite some time um, from your days way back in the day when you were at uh, at um, uh, Yext and now you're at uh, SignUp. Uh, pretty much your entire year always been in the customer service side, uh, on the sales side, and spends your entire year, entire life in your career helping people, right? Sell better, buy better. So from all your years of being in sales, what have you seen change uh, in terms of the, the sales process and the sales approach? Yeah, so I think that the biggest change um, that I've seen and that I'm you know excited about is really product-led growth as opposed to sort of hard closing and, and pushing for the max contract up front. Um, that's kind of how it used to be, uh, but now more and more um, with lower cost technologies and offerings and freemium offerings available and free trials that so many companies are giving, you know, I think it it's great to be able to you know, give a client something for free or onboard uh, them at a low cost and then earn their trust and expand that revenue by growing users or licenses or or whatever that model is. And, you know, for me, it all comes back to sort of the philosophy that HubSpot really came up with uh, around inbound. I really love that methodology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think HubSpot also uh, kind of shifted their pricing model probably not too long ago, maybe about two years ago or so. They went to that freemium model as well before they never had a a free product. I think they started leading with that, uh, the freemium model. I'm pretty sure it's working out just fine for them because I think their stock is close to about $600 now. Yeah. So there's something something right about that growth strategy. So has there ever been a time as technology evolved and you being in sales where you're ever, ever resistant to change? I think absolutely. I think every seller is resistant to change. And um, mm-hmm. You know, it's really important for sellers to get over that and realize that, you know, change is always going to be there and things are always going to be changing in in sales, but also in life, right? A seller, they get used to a deck, they get used to a pitch, they get used to the value prop on day X, but then Mm -hmm. 
a couple months later, a couple years later, that is going to change in, in any dynamic market, in any fast growing startup today. You're going to have to land and expand. You're going to have to upsell and cross sell new products. And you're going to have to change your pitch when you're branding your marketing changes. So it's really important, you know, a seller to be open to change, to be willing to fail and, and struggle and, you know, get through that. Uh, you know, period, and you know, just be constantly learning and constantly honing their skills, which in the long run will make them, you know, much better and more adaptive salesperson. Both certainly, and obviously, you've probably seen in your career the involve, you know, introdu introduction of automation coming into the sales. Right, we see sales enablement tools and sales outreach tools and uh, social selling tools. All sorts of automation. I mean, not just CRM, right? There's so many things, uh, even just um, uh, basically advanced calling uh, features that actually can make calls uh, in a predictable way. So you're calling West Coast at a certain time of the day and East Coast at a certain time of the day and machine pretty much deciding for the rep um, how they should spend their day. So what have you seen working really well from the automation standpoint, helping sales organizations do a better job in selling? Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to harness the technologies that are out there, and there's so many. So that that you know is a, is a challenging decision for sales leaders today because there's so many technologies out there, and there are just you know constant tweaks and minor you know things differences between them uh, that you have to evaluate and stay on top of, and then something new gets. Uh, invented, and all of a sudden you need it, but it's not incorporated into you know what you have. So I think. You know, we really believe in, in harnessing softwares and technologies to take as much of the, you know, hard stuff out of sales as possible. And for me, you know, in my career, the hardest thing has always been cold calling. So utilizing, you know, a dialing tool or automation or a cadencing tool like, you know, we use SalesLoft, for example, um, to take that off the plate of the seller and to say, hey, Mr. Seller, when you show up today, here's the... 40 dials you have to make today or here's the you know 50 emails that are going out or here are the you know personal connections that you have to make on LinkedIn that are in their basically activity inbox they show up and say you know give them the autonomy to kind of plan their day out but say here's what we expect of you here's you know what the kind of how the numbers stack up for you to achieve your goal and to make it as easy as possible for them to do that. Yeah, which brings me to another question, right? With all this uh, sales enablement tools and automation tools, uh, you also have to balance the humanizing aspect of sales, right? Where you don't want to come across like a robot, a lot of same emails, templates being sent, uh, and then there's no empathy or emotion sometimes being communicated through some of these outreaches. So how can you really not lose touch with the humanized, you know, humanizing the, the sales role? Uh, and then making sure that you're really still reaching out to, an, uh, to a human being you still need to relate to their business challenges or business needs and really able to align your offering to to meet their business um, business needs. Yeah, I think, you know, right, the first thing you have to do is to really, you know, have a lot of sort of custom cadences, right, as we have within SalesLoft that are dedicated to specific ICPs um, so that, you know, it's as personalized and customized to their needs as possible, right? So in, in our case, right, if we're going after agencies, uh, an SEO agency versus a web design agency, we're gonna have, you know, different content in those emails that's that's focused on them. Um, 
but that is an automation. But, you know, like you said, and like I stress to my sellers, people buy from people. So you really need to do your research and you really need to, I, you know, I think the most important thing is make that initial connection when you do get someone on the phone or onto a demo. I always say, you know, camera on, you want to introduce yourself first and, and earn that initial trust of talking about the experience and the success you've had with, in our case, hundreds of small businesses or hundreds of other agencies um, or other FinServe accounts, right, or other, other targets there. Um, so it's really important to just, you know, do research, be prepared, and to take that limited few seconds or minutes you have to earn someone's trust and have them let their guard down um, to do that. Because if you don't and you just jump into a demo, you're just another one of hundreds of emails and SaaS products that they're getting emailed and called about every week. Yeah, most certainly. And I think sometimes you can tell apart when it's just a uh, basically a cookie cutter email versus somebody who really took the time to understand who you are and then very much tailor a message that resonate with you. Just because sometimes someone's job title says one thing doesn't necessarily mean their job function is exactly what you're expecting them to have. Uh, so I, I often get very turned off when I see those LinkedIn outreaches or emails that just doesn't relate to my my job function as well. Well, here so doing the homework really matters. Absolutely. And here, here here's a little hack. I forget where I saw this on LinkedIn. I wish you could do this on email. Um, but on LinkedIn, I saw somewhere that if you put an emoji or an icon right in front of your name and someone puts you on an automation in LinkedIn, that emoji you can tell right away. shows up. So you, you can actually see who's got you on kind of an automation software versus actually writing out a real message. So that's a little inside hack. Not that I don't not look at emails that come via cadences or automations, but it's just interesting to, to notice that when you do get a, a personal one versus somebody that has, has just stuck you into the system. Most certainly. And I've also seen when they have the, the they source, you know, their company uh, contact record from some company where they, where they have all the company uh, names all in caps. And then you can immediately tell when they've just inserted a company name, but it's all in caps and the rest of the email is proper casing. So take the time to clean up your list before you actually start your cold outreach. Right. Uh, do you have any predictions in terms of where the technology is heading the sales um you know, sales team as a whole? Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely evolving fast. I think, you know, you look at all the, uh, you know, conversation intelligence solutions out there that have raised big money. Um, mm. You know, I think that's a big trend, right? Every call, every conversation that every someone at every company has with you is going to be recorded, transcribed, and analyzed, which I love. That's actually one of my favorite tools, we actually use a, a tool called uh, Wingman um, that's similar to like a gong or a chorus, but they transcribe and it really lets you coach at scale and, and speed up coaching um, and do that. So I think, you know, that's one of the, the first things. And I think the second thing is almost, I don't want to say the elimination of, of salespeople, but again, it's just, it's just become so competitive with you know, decision makers getting hundreds or, or thousands of emails and offerings and, and calls from these people that, again, moving to a, a product-led thing where you give them access to a platform and the seller is not really trying to sell or hard-close somebody, they're showing value and they're forced to say, here, 
you know, here's the tool, here's how you use it. Let's earn your trust and then, you know, help them grow into it. So maybe, you know, uh, like I said, product led as opposed to here's a demo and let's close you say, Hey, let's, let's customize, uh, the solution here to show you value and then grow it from there. Most certainly. Well, obviously, you've been an individual contributor. You also have been in the sales leadership role, and I know you're kind of the chief revenue officer right now at Sign Up. So, from your observation of you know seeing, I mean, I'm sure you've seen hundreds of sales leaders across so many different uh, industries as well. What are some of the you know success you know attributes that you saw and successful sales sales leaders have uh, that sets them apart? So, I think you know the best sales leaders and you know are often very different than the best sellers you know i i considered myself a closer but i'm still evolving as a as a sales leader i think i'm a great closer but you know i'm really trying to up my game when it comes to managing revenue operations and managing mm -hmm. analytics and really optimizing to be able to manage with data so i think the best mm -hmm. sales leaders are are you know people who are doing that and, you know, one of my biggest regrets is, is not, you know, onboarding a revenue operations person kind of immediately to really set things up to my liking and, and um, kind of using certain things just from, you know, Salesforce or HubSpot right out of the box. Um, but I think you need to customize a system that fits your sale and your process and your handoff process and your onboarding process. And then you know, scale it from there. Because if you're trying to scale something and there are little kind of standard tweaks that are just, again, out of the out of the box based on the way it came, uh, it's going to slow down your ability to scale that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you elaborate on that? Because I think, you know, most organizations don't even have um, those sort of functions that you described, right? Like the sales operations role is becoming very common in the SaaS industries where uh, those industries are starting to adapt those different functions. You have the SDRs, you have the AE, now you have your uh, sales operations role, and then you know, and then your senior VP of sales, and maybe even a CRO. All these different functions that are popping up in SaaS organizations. Why such um, division of labor is even needed from your perspective? Um, I mean, you know, just because I think if you are going to, you know, have to take extra steps, the more steps you can eliminate. Or the more you can automate and take the human the human error element or human error risk out of it, the better off you're going to be. So when it comes to again like a, a handoff form and the fields that you're collecting, either during the sales process in order to move something from a specific stage to the next stage, making certain mm -hmm. fields required or things like that, um, getting certain answers, certain KPIs before you initiate let's say a pilot or or kick off an onboarding um you know for an account you need to have those things and if you're counting on a human to like collect all of these things in a list somewhere and then the list changes and then it's somewhere else right that's hard but if it's in your record in your crm and it's fully customized to your process you know you're going to be better off mm-hmm yeah, and I think that's where technology is really a driver. Yeah, I don't think you necessarily need a sales ops person. You just need someone who's good at, at optimizing uh, your system or making edits mm -hmm. and, and to, the, to the flows in Salesforce. And you could go 
you know, hire a contractor on Upwork who's, who has their Salesforce certification or a HubSpot certification, right, or a consultant. And, and, and they can kind of do that as a contract project. You don't need to bring on an expensive full-time employee to do that if you know what you want. But, you know, there's so many different types of sales processes out there, right, that range from, you know, free onboarding in a day to, you know, deals and sales that take years and years that, you know, the biggest enterprise deals are, you know, take years to, um, you know, develop. So you just need to know your process and, and be able to describe it and lay it out for them and they can build it. Yeah, most certainly. And I think one of the areas where I know um, I fail in the sales function is the follow-up tasks. And I think it piles up pretty quickly. And if you have a more efficient way to prioritize who you should be following up with and who is the most likely to, to close or uh, who are some of the past prospects that you need to probably reach back, some ways of kind of um, unearthing those opportunities and contacts. And if there's technology-enabled ways of doing it, that can make your uh, reps um, day more efficient and be more productive and actually focus on more revenue-producing activities than just a bunch of random to-do lists. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's definitely where I think the sales operation role plays a great part. I think to talk a little bit more about the individual contributors, because I know um, obviously you've played that role in the past and you, you have so many that are actually working under you. Uh, what are some qualities or skills that you observed on the top performing sales reps that you've hired and, um, and raised in your organizations? So, you know, I think you want, you know, obviously you can teach sales. I believe that anybody can be taught and I'm a fan of the growth mindset. Um, but I think there are certain, um, you know, personality traits that, you know, people build over a lifetime um, that, you know, make them better sellers from the start. And, and I think you have to have that kind of suave, you know, the ability to really get deep with someone or get personal someone or make that personal connection and put them at ease is, is what I see and look for as someone who can, you know, carry on a a casual you know conversation and make it casual and not just like this robotic demo is I think you know that first and, and most important thing is you have to earn somebody's trust and, and put them at ease and be able to shoot the shit with them and and uh, you know have them want to talk to you have them want to pick up the phone when you call their cell phone to kind of check in on something and that's something that's hard to earn but if you're mm -hmm. you're good at you know making that personal connection you'll be that much better once you've earned their trust with your product and built a champion to collaborate with that champion to push it through to get a deal done and overcome the objections that, you know, will definitely come up. But obviously, right, you know, they have to be kind of hardworking. They have to be able to deal with rejection. They have to have the grit that, you know, goes along with the day-to-day -day of sales, which, you know, sales, I, in my opinion, is still the hardest job. You know, it, it sucks. Cold calling sucks. Rejection sucks. But, you know, it can also be for those people that have those skills, it can be so rewarding and so important and, and the most lucrative right job if you are good at it, too. So I have a question about, you know, I mean, you've mentioned some of the qualities of a, a top performing sales reps. And obviously there are some that can really do a great job when they're on the phone. They have the skill of closing and they know how to build relationships. They know how to earn trust. They do all of those things. But there are some 
duties of the sales, right? Which you kind of talk, alluded to earlier with the sales operation, you know, doing, you know, creating tasks, doing the follow-ups, entering in the data, um, you know, doing the right steps and putting the deals into the right stage. And all those things are super important. And many of them, sales reps don't really enjoy doing those things. So how can you actually, you know, change the behavior of a person um, who's really good at their job and you want to encourage them and you also don't want to be cutting slack for somebody because they just don't do some of the, you know, not so exciting function of a sales role. So there's a couple of things you can do. Again, there's, you know, again, so many cool new tools coming out that can assist with that, that are, that make mm -hmm. it easier, as easy as writing a note in your, you know, little Apple notes, um, you know, tab to update Salesforce as opposed to like going in and updating a Salesforce record and logging a call, which like you said, is, is everyone's nightmare to do all those clicks and like log everything. It's horrible. And, and most people aren't doing it, you know, for all their things. So I haven't used a tool, but there's a tool like called, I think Dooley, um, that I, that I've been hearing a lot of great things about where it's as easy as writing in a note and it kind of auto logs all your activities and makes it super easy to log activities. So, Again, like we talked about earlier, harnessing technology uh, to make that easy. You know, I think the other thing you need to do is, is uh, you know, just force it. Force the behaviors and reward the good behaviors and penalize the bad behaviors. One thing we did recently are, um, is implement part of a rep's, you know, compensation program is determined by their ability, you know, so 20% of their comp is based on certain activity benchmarks, whether that be, mm -hmm. um, you know, going in and, you know, sending out the minimum number of, you know, emails over the course of on a week by week basis. So it kind of adds up. So they're not just waiting till the last day of the month and sending out 10,000 emails, but like it's a, it's a kind of a weekly target where they can plan out their week and they can have a slow day, but then they got to pick it up a few of the other days, right? So for emails, connections and, and calls and those things, and then also saying, you know, Hey, you know, I want you to go into the conversation intelligence, you know, platform and tag some of your calls for coaching and say, you know, self coach yourself, but then tag mm -hmm. your manager or tag myself where I came across this objection and, you know, didn't know how to handle it. Or here's what this person said, how would you guys handle that? And then the team gets involved and they're kind of helping and coaching each other and you can use that, um, you know, as well. So that's, you know, one thing I did to sort of not just uh, be focused on their sales, not because with sales, people are gonna have good months and, and good quarters and bad months and bad quarters, so they can still make a portion of their money just by doing the things that are going to fill the top of the funnel, which at the end of the day, the best sellers, right? You can be the smoothest, greatest closer, but the smoothest, greatest closers that fill the top of their pipe and are doing the daily activities to do that are the ones that are really succeeding. So are you also expecting the same level of activities from the AEs as well? Uh, because I can, I can see how an SDR can have very, you know, methodical approach to how many, you know, calls, emails, um, connections on LinkedIn, all those can 
work, but somebody who's probably just doing, you know, sales function and just conducting demos and having conversation with prospects that, you know, the meetings that were booked by an SDR, how, how do you set some sort of a baseline or a benchmark for some sort of activities for them? So, it, you know, that's a, a debate going on in sales right now where, where, you know, obviously over the past few years, people have moved to this kind of separation where, you know, SDR set the meetings and sales only runs the meetings. But now I think there's kind of a trend going back where, you know, your best, you know, sellers need sort of the, you need to be, what like in baseball, a five-tool player where you need to be able to do it all. So mm -hmm. now, and we've done both. We've had a huge team of SDRs. Uh, you know, after COVID hit, we cut our SDR team, you know, pretty significantly. We still have a lot of SDRs setting meetings and we have marketing doing their job, getting inbound meetings. But, you know, I've set the expectation with my sellers that they need to be having a reasonable amount of phone, email, and you know connection activity going on and if it's not reasonable we can have the conversation right if you're overwhelmed with other demos right and meetings that's a good thing and maybe we'll adjust that but you know again i was a seller too and sellers aren't that busy right they think they're mm. busy but if you can time box and schedule out your day and say hey here's the one hour where i'm going to go through these phone calls and guess what? 90% of those people aren't going to pick up the phone, right? So you're, you might have a few extra conversations a day, right? You just have to do it and it'll fill the top of your funnel. There's still, you know, value in it. So it really is different for every company, right? If you've got a, a great seller closing big deals, they might not have the same expectations as a younger seller closing smaller deals who you expect, you know, that kind of hustle out of. Most certainly. And I think, like you said, I think if you have technology that's showing them where they are lacking and then they can actually pick up the pace uh, before it's too late to actually catch up on their metrics as well. So I think technology plays a big part in there. Um, so you earlier you touched on this whole growth mindset. Can you elaborate a little bit about, you know, obviously you said that's something you look for in, in, in candidates that you hire. And I'm assuming you also have kind of hold that. Um, tell us a little bit about the kind of the growth mindset that you have and then how do you train yourself to have it? Yeah, so that's the, I forget, I think it's Carol Dworkin wrote the book, um, The Growth Mindset. And it's, you know, it's basically just there's, there's two options you can have when it comes to your mindset. There's a growth mindset, and then there's a fixed mindset. The fixed mindset is, I'm not good at math, or I can't close this business, or I can't make this connection, right, in the, in the case of sales, or I can't make 50 outbound cold calls a day, right? But a growth mindset says that, hey, here's where I am today, right? But I believe I can learn how to be better at math through practice. I can improve my ability to connect with people on the cold calls through practicing and listening to what the best cold callers do and how they're making connections and what they're saying and exactly, you know, the little tweaks in words of how they're saying it. Tiny, tiny changes to, you know, what you say and the word choice you use can do that. But studying that and being of the open mind that I'm here today, but I can improve within mm -hmm. these 60, 90 days, 180 days, a, a year, two years, and get to where I want to be. Um, so you kind of have to be open to practicing, open to failing. And I try to, I think everyone struggles with it, right? It's very hard to, again, be comfortable failing and not being good at something when you're just starting to learn a new skill or, 
or things like that. Um, but you really, again, going back to the ability to learn being a critical skill and change being ever present, you need that mindset in today's technology world and today's every world, the way the way things are, are uh, speeding up in every industry. Mm-hmm. So especially in the recruiting phase, how do you screen for a candidate to see if they do possess that growth mindset? So you can ask them questions about, you know, something they've recently become passionate about. And again, whether it's in their personal life or whether it's in, you know, taking on a, a new job and their ability to get up to speed in that, you know, role in XYZ days, um, you know, you can learn about it there. But you really just want to, you know, make sure that they can describe a good experience of not being good at something, deciding, hey, I want to be good at this, and I'm willing to put in the time and the work, and and then making it happen. And uh, who has been the biggest influence on your leadership style? And uh, is there any uh, advice that they provided that kind of comes to your mind? Let's see. Um, I still think probably the most influential in the past couple of years um, – you know, person when it comes to sort of my management and business processes is, is Ray Dalio and his book Principles is probably the, you know, it's still. He's from the financial sector. He, he's from the financial sector, but he's, you know, that book, it's a, it's a little heavy. Uh, you know, it's a big, mm-hmm. but he all, it used to be like a 50 page pamphlet. He turned it into a book and he made a lot of money. Not that he needs more money. Um, but it, just, <laughs> it just, you know, really talks about you want to have conflict at your organization. You want an idea meritocracy is what I always try to instill when when I'm having our leadership meetings with our CS and our product and our leadership team, right? You want people, you want your executive team to be challenging each other's ideas and poking holes in each other's ideas and arguing over what's best. And then as a team, come to an agreement because if you're just groveling to, you know, this person because they're really loud or because they've made a few great decisions in the past, but you don't think their decision is the, is the next great step for your company, right? And you just sit down because they did that. You're doing your company a disservice if you think your idea is better, right? And, and again, you might, everybody thinks their ideas are great and yours might get shot down, but you need to kind of collaborate with other smart people and poke holes in it and let the best ideas surface via that idea meritocracy. Yeah, that's a great concept. So obviously we all have uh, one thing we have very limited of, which is time. Um, we all have to get our own personal things done uh, as well as our, our whatever responsible things that we have to do for our jobs and our career. So how do you stay productive? Do you have any sort of a productivity hack um, that you follow? So I like to wake up early and and get a workout in is kind of my first thing is you need to like you know i'm a big believer in sound body sound mind um right if i don't get that in i i'm not feeling as good for the for the rest of the day um Mm -hmm. you know i think the other thing that i try to do but i also fail a lot at is like time boxing and and you know there's the idea that multitasking is a myth and it actually makes you way less productive and i actually agree with that and that if you can say, hey, for this hour, I'm going to focus on this specific project and only be in this dock and maybe do, um, 
what's the the Pomodoro timer, right? And sit and do something for 25 minutes and then take a five minute break and then do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's challenging because especially in leadership, you've got all your reps asking you questions and all sorts of fires coming at you from all different directions. Mm-hmm. So I think blocking specific time where, hey, no, I'm not going to do any meetings, right? You get pulled into so many meetings, but blocking certain mm-hmm. time off and saying, here's here's the biggest tasks that I'm focusing on. And I'm going to focus solely on those uh, you know, for the next hour, for the next two hours, for the rest of this week and uh, and doing that. Yeah. Uh, knowing what you know, know today, what advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> I mean, I would probably take more risks and I would have started a, a company. Right? I've always uh, uh, dreamed about running a company um, and, and someday I still plan to. But I would do it now because no one's getting any younger. Um, so that would be the first thing is, is go out there and make your dreams happen and take those risks. Um, I think the other thing, right, work for a startup is another big thing, right? I kind of went an easy or a safe corporate route um, right after college and worked for, you know, a big conglomerate bureaucracy and it was soul sucking. It absolutely, absolutely sucked. I was thinking to myself, this can't be what life is going to be like for the next 40 years. And then luckily, luckily I got fired from that job and I came across a startup that had like opened up in the office park where I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that was Yodel. And then kind of the rest is history. I've, I've now worked for several, uh, you know, early stage VC backed startups and I love it because you get to design the process and there's not, you're not just following a, a set thing you're 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 building something new and figuring out how to make it successful and you learn as much from failing startups as you do from succeeding startups right it's good to, it's almost good to be a part of both i've learned as much from ones that weren't going well uh as i did from you know ones that went great um and you know once you do that you can you know, get good at that. You can negotiate for equity. So that would be the other, you know, big thing is obviously you have the chance to get a uh, a nice chunk of companies or stock options where if it does go well, um, you know, can be lucrative and you need to learn about those, right? Because a lot of companies try to take advantage and give people, uh, you know, just a, a set chunk and you're 23 and you're like, oh, wow, a thousand options or 10,000 options. And it is what it is. But if you, uh, you know, have the ability to get more of those and negotiate for more, right, and you think the company is going places, it can be very lucrative. Most certainly. Well, Kevin, I certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for sparing this afternoon with me and uh, sharing some of your wisdom with our audience. Awesome. Anytime. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.